If you would, in your Bibles, let's go ahead and stand and we'll read our text and get into the message this morning. 2 Samuel chapter number 13. This is another one of those stories, another one of those passages of Scripture that unless you discipline yourself to preach through your Bible and uh, the whole counsel of God, this is one you would just naturally avoid for the most part. Very uncomfortable story. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 1, And it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon the son of David loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Now watch this verse. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So that makes him Amnon's cousin. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister, my half-sister. Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat. And dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. We'll stop right there uh, for the sake of time this morning, and let's go to to the Lord in prayer again, and ask Him to bless the preaching. And then I want to show you some things from this story that I hope will be a help to you. Father, I love you this morning, and I pray that you'd please be here, Lord. I need you this morning. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for my church family, and I thank you for the good spirit that's here and for the the laughs that you give us and just the unity that we have, Lord. But this is a serious subject matter now this morning, and I want to handle it properly. I want to handle it the way you'd have me to handle it. Lord, I don't want to be afraid of any man's face, but I also want to have a fear of God in my heart. Uh, I want to have an utter boldness before men, but I also want to have a sensitivity to, to their feelings and to where they're at, Father. So I just pray you'd give me the right balance. I pray you'd help me to preach this and to preach it with compassion, but to preach it with boldness. Help me to preach it the right way. Help each and every one of us in this room, God, to have an opportunity here to seriously step back and make a gut check on what kind of influences we allow in our life and where they're taking us. Help us to be sensitive to you, and I pray that you would even maybe uh, give somebody the, the, uh, the preliminary warning that they may need before this even comes up, so that they can make good decisions in their life and not wind up hurting themselves and hurting others and far away from God in their relationship. Lord, we need you now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, we've been looking at those things that hurt the church as we've been going through the storyline of David's life, starting with him and his relationship with his father-in-law. And I've been looking at this subject because it is really my desire for us to be prepared, I would say, more than anything. I'm not trying to preach this series to say, if we preach this series, then what we're going to do is we're going to insulate ourselves from ever having these problems. I'm just simply not that naive. I realize that there will be problems in church, and the thing that breaks my heart is when I see those problems happen, and then you even meet people that once were serving Jesus Christ that are no longer serving Jesus Christ because they were hurt in church. They had one expectation of what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a part of a local church, and then with time and with circumstances and with sinful people around, things happen and they're backslid on God. Teenagers that once were serving the Lord aren't serving them anymore because stuff happens at church. 
The reality is we're all sinners. We've nailed that down. And as a result of our sin nature, then things will happen that will have damage, cause damage in our families. It'll cause damage in your friendships. It'll cause damage in your local church. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible says doubtless, but that offenses will come. You're not going to get away from the fact that you're going to sooner or later be offended, be hurt, be tripped up, have something that really bothers you. And if, if you're not careful, that thing becomes bitter. It becomes a cancer. It gets infected. And then it actually damages your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what I think to me is even worse than the thought of somebody hurting me would be me hurting my Savior and hurting other people. I don't want to be the cause of the damage that comes at church. I I want to be able to be walking with God enough to where when damage comes, when somebody else does something, when I am hurt, my reaction to the hurt doesn't make the problem bigger than what it was before. So I just want to, I'm trying to preach this series just to maybe help somebody, prepare somebody, prepare all of us for those times when it happens. And it's going to happen. If you look at the storyline and you think about it even starting back with King Saul, what was it that caused the damage between him and his daughter and him and his son-in-law? It was really what it boils down to, you could say it was envy. Envy is the problem. Well, step back for a minute. You look at King David and what we saw two weeks ago and and the damage that he did in his kingdom, the damage he did in his leadership, the damage that he did to his own family and the judgment of God that's falling out. One of those judgments we're looking at here in this passage, this is a result of David's lust that was not controlled. And we preached about lust and the damage that lust does to people that you love, to your church family, to yourself. The Bible says, he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own soul. The damage you do to you with the danger of lust and all the fallout that comes from it. So you could say the problem is envy, the problem is lust. The problem is a competitive spirit like we saw with Joab and, and the mess that went on there when they could come, let the young men play before us and it turns into an all-out war. The competitive spirit. You say, That's the problem. He has a competitive spirit. No, none of those things are really the problem. You know what the problem is? The problem is sin. When you really boil it all down to its simplest form, the reason that we hurt one another, the reason that we hurt the church, the reason that we have marriage problems and the, and the strife and the division and the ugliness that comes and the reason that you have rebellion issues with the children towards the parents and the reason that you walk into church and just that certain person just grates on your nerves, just bothers you, the reason you got offended at something stupid, it all boils down to one simple thing. It is nothing more than sin. So really, when we walk it all the way back to the really root of the issue, it has nothing to do with each other. You're not hurt because of what so-and-so did to me. Your marriage is not on the rocks because of what your spouse did to you. That's really not the problem. You know what the problem is? Your spouse may have sinned against Almighty God. That is the problem. When somebody did you wrong, if you're right to be hurt, it's not really about you and it's not really about them. You're a sinner and they're a sinner, so really a sinner sinning against a sinner is no big deal. Wait a minute, what did you just say? Oh, come on, man. They did you wrong. How many people have you done wrong? They misjudged you. How many people have you misjudged? 
just gets on my nerves to see some, some, some preacher getting up joking about the chicken graveyard, you know, and i got to hurry up and finish up this message because it's time to eat. Like, bro, you don't need to eat. You're going to make it. But then hammer on somebody for having a cigarette problem. I'm not saying cigarettes are okay. I'm just saying it's real easy for us to judge the sin in somebody else's life and and grossly overlook our own sin because always their sin looks worse than my sin because I have reasons for my sin. It's not about you and I. And one of the greatest problems in church is everybody getting their eyes on each other, everybody getting into everybody else's business. We're going to get into that in just a minute. The reality is it boils down to a breakdown in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know if you're in a situation where somebody has sinned against you? You're in a marriage where your needs are not getting met? You're in a church where, listen, I'm here because the Bible's being preached and God speaks to my heart. and It's amazing how God gets in my personal business all the time. It's like, wow, I go there because I leave convicted. I go there because I leave encouraged. I go there because I get the help I need. I go there because I feel like my relationship with the Lord is growing and I'm seeing things and understanding things. I did. That's the reason you're there. And then your eyes get all pulled off of that onto that person, that issue, that circumstance, that problem. Really, listen, don't you realize that if you're innocent and they have hurt you, that God Almighty has the ability to give you the grace and the help and the healing you need? to sustain the burden you're carrying in that relationship. So really, the essence of the problem is sin in my own heart. When I'm like grossly offended and grossly upset, they did this and they said that and she said this and they criticized my message and and I get all like jacked up about that, that's me making me my own God. Does that make sense? A little harsh, huh? That's me saying, I'm so important that what they did to me is something I cannot just deal with that. I can't just let that go. They've never asked me to forgive them. Okay, go ahead and self-destruct. Go ahead and think that you're the most important thing in the world. Go ahead and hold that against them and refuse to let them go, but then beg God to give you a break when you're the one that messed up. See, the root of the issue is us and God. It's not everybody else. And the reason I hurt people, the reason that I can cause damage in relationships. It really just boils down to sin. If there's anything you and I ought to hate, listen to me this morning. If there's anything you ought to hate, it is sin. Anybody ever cried at a funeral? Anybody ever had that panic moment when the phone rings? What? Is he okay? Is she okay? Are they going to make it? That like overwhelming. You know what that's from? It's from sin. Think about the gravity of sin. Now here's the problem. The problem is, man, if you could just take a spiritual drill and open up some young people's heads and pour this in, that'd be great. The problem is, there is pleasure in sin. God himself told you there's pleasure in sin. We talked about it early on, the opening message for this thing, the dichotomy of the Christian life. you got the spirit of God in you wanting to do right. 
and you got a flesh that wants to do wrong. And your flesh will have a riot in sin. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And then when you get to the end of that pleasure, which is so short-lived, I repeat myself on purpose, the pleasure of sin is very short-lived. Now you have to reap what you sowed. And you know, the, the pleasure can last like this long, but the reaping can last for years. We ought to hate sin. We ought to realize that sin is the number one enemy and sin that dwells in us, and so therefore our flesh is the enemy. And realize that all these issues that come, all the blood that gets shed, all the, all the messed up homes, all the, all the times of grieving against God, the ruined testimony, the, the strife, all the issues boil down to one simple thing. And it's somebody failed in their walk with Jesus Christ to be filled with God's Spirit and act like God would have them to act. That's the root of the issue every single time. So you see how all-encompassing this is? In other words, I can't control you And someday you might really hurt me. But when that happens, I have to control me in my walk with Jesus Christ so I don't make the problem you created bigger. I heard it said this way, and I think it's the best way to say it. Little people make little issues big. You know how many people just started all kinds of a war in church over something stupid? But big people make big issues little you ever really done somebody wrong and gone I'm like man I'm really sorry and like hey man what are you talking about don't worry about it and they mean it well that's the kind of thing that keeps problems from coming that's somebody that's walking with God submitted to the Holy Spirit and letting it go like God tells them to but I know too many people that live in captivity to what's been done to them now you're going to notice in this text I want to show you three things It is sin that's the root of the issue. We're not going to focus on the specific sin because in this case it's a redundant message because Amnon's problem was lust like his father David. We're not going to focus on the lust side of it this morning. This morning I want to focus on the other side of it. And there's another side to this situation. See, Amnon had this problem going on in his heart. It it was a sin. Now, now here's the thing about sin. I want you to understand this. The sin is actually committed. Stay with me. The sin is actually committed the moment you begin the debate. It's not like I took that dope and when I smoked that dope, I sinned. No, you sinned the second somebody offered you the dope and you began debating whether or not you were going to take it. You understand that, right? But in the debate stage, it has not yet come to birth. So that's the conception. We talked about that recently. The conception is when the sin that's in your heart meets the seed that is presented to it, the sin is conceived. The best thing to do in that moment is say, God, I shouldn't even be debating this thing. My mind went where it shouldn't have gone. God, I'm sorry. And get that thing right before the birth. Because once the birth comes, you are stuck with the fruit of your sin. You're going to reap what you sowed. So what you have at the beginning of this passage in Amnon is you have a sin already committed in his heart, but the act had not yet come to fruition. What's happening is this. It's the same thing that happens to you. His conscience is bothering him. 
He knows what he wants to do is wrong. He knows he has a desire, and yet he can't kind of step over that line because it's really a hard thing for him to do what he wants to do. Look at the passage. In verse number 2, it says, And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So what's going on is he has this desire, but he knows his desire is wrong. So the debate is going on in Amnon's mind. I'll be willing to bet you right now, there's some of you here this morning, that you got mental issues, struggles with sin in your mind, and you've been letting your mind go where it wants to go, and you're not controlling it because you, you, you know it's wrong, but you kind of keep playing around with that sin and flirting with that sin in your mind. That's the problem with some of these, show, these TV shows, you know, where it's she's falling in love with her husband and all the rest of that stuff. They used to preach against the soap operas when I was a kid. Well, those things are just psh, nothing compared to what you're inundated with. You're playing around with that mess in your mind. Reading some of these novels. Lady, ladies like to read the stories. Reading some of these novels. You shouldn't be reading that garbage. You know what? You're, you're already sinning. You enjoy reading that garbage. You are planting in your mind. You're committing the sin against God. And your mind ain't anywhere near where it needs to be. And the devil is waiting patiently to get his opportunity to give you the trigger you need to commit the act. Some of you fellas, you're playing around in your mind. Your conscience knows it's wrong. You can easily spot a sin in somebody else's life. You can easily say, look at the homosexual agenda. Look at the liberal agenda. And you can easily preach against all those sins that you're not flirting with, but you can't see what the devil's doing in your own head and where that's taking you. You are going to hurt people. And most of all, you've already hurt your walk with Jesus Christ. And I am telling you, where your mind's going to take you is utter destruction and pain and heartbreak, you don't want what your flesh wants. I promise, I promise you, you don't want it. You just think you do. And it's going to wreck you. I'm warning you, it's going to wreck you. And you can't handle it. His mind's going there. And while he's thinking about this thing and meditating on this thing, he's saying, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. Nope, that's wrong. I know that's wrong. I know I shouldn't do that. Can't do that. That's wrong. You know lost people even get convicted? You know lost people know? Lost men know it's wrong to take another man's wife. Here's the thing. When you're in that position, you're miserable. Do you hear me? You are absolutely a miserable human being. There is nothing more miserable than somebody who's born again as the Spirit of God indwelling them. That is, thinking on and meditating on and flirting with things they ought not be flirting with. You're grieving the Holy Spirit of God and since you're, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption, since you're sealed with Him, you're literally forcing yourself into a bipolar, schizophrenic environment. Because your flesh wants to do this and your mind, and there's a pleasure sensation your flesh gets from sin. They say that pornography is as addictive as drugs because of the literal physiological response that goes on in your body. There's a pleasure that your sin's getting, that your flesh is getting from the sin. And while that's going on and you're enjoying it, on the other side, your conscience is saying, Stop it! Stop it! 
I'm glad you're sitting over there. You notice the girls moved? You know it's wrong. And the farther you go down that road of saying, Shut up, Holy Spirit! Shut up, conscience! The farther you go down that road, the more you deaden that conscience and the closer you get to giving birth to that sin and then paying the price. You know, I've seen people deaden their conscience so much that they actually use Bible to commit heinous sin and they can justify it from Bible. You ain't never seen anything so wicked, so demonic, so subtle, so ungodly as that. Boy, they'll do it too. And you'll do it. If you keep letting that thing percolate in your soul. He's got it going on down there and he's thinking about it and he's meditating on it. And he's troubled and he's miserable. Look at verse 4. His buddy Jonadab, his cousin. By the way, sometimes it's family. We'll come back to that in a second. Jonadab's his cousin. And Jonadab said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? You know what he's saying? Hey, boy, you're miserable. You young people know, you want to know why your saved parents often know you're going down the wrong road before they ever catch you? care how smart you think you are. If you got a mama and a daddy that are on their knees talking to God about you, you don't think God's going to tell them about you? If your friends can look at you and see what a rebel you are, you think your parents can't? You're flirting around with it and it's all contained in here and in here. Your mind and your heart. And you haven't done nothing yet, but you're thinking about it. You haven't done nothing yet, but it's percolating. You haven't done nothing yet, but your heart's way out in the far country while you sit in church on Sunday morning and you get up and sing specials and you walk around acting like you got it together. Even looking down your nose at those sinners. Making comments about the barista at Starbucks, you know. Oh, did you see her? Yeah, she ain't saved. She knows nothing about God. She knows nothing about the Bible. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit indwell in her. You don't know what's in her past that put her where she is. You have no idea what kind of abuse she might have been through that put her where she is. Sometimes it's more than what you think it is, and yet you're a miserable little wretch because you're backslidden on God while you're living squeaky clean. Your heart is filthy. And your conscience is telling you, Stop! And the preacher's preaching his guts out and your mom and dad are praying and pushing back on you and the whole while you're saying, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed. I want it. Just let me free. Let me out. Let me out. You're not in a prison. But you're fixing to wrap one up for yourself. And you'll be holding with the cords of your sin. He's got this miserable thing going on. Well, you can't be in a good environment and have a daddy like David. And not be miserable. You can't know the truth and know better and do it anyways and not be miserable. You know what I think was probably going on in Amnon's heart? This is just this is just sanctified imagination, my guesswork, but knowing human nature, I'll bet you anything the whole while Amnon's going through this struggle in his conscience, he's going, Yeah, but look at dad. Look what dad did with Bathsheba. 
Oh, so somebody else's sin gives you a right to sin against your conscience and against God Almighty, and you think you're going to get away with it because, oh, my parents were a bad example. You know better. I don't care what your mom and daddy do or don't do. I don't, care, I don't care how many inconsistencies you can find in your parents. Because guess what? We all can find them in everybody. Go ahead, grow up, get married, have kids, and see if you do any better than your parents are doing. I don't care what inconsistencies you can find. The problem is your own heart. That Bible tells you every man shall give account of himself to God. That means if you're born again and you're 7 years old, 8 years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years that means if you're born again and Jesus Christ comes back and gets us out of here right now, or you die and stand before the judgment, you're going to give an account for you. Well, Dad, oh God, you know, my mom and dad, my dad was really grouchy. He came in from work and yelled at everybody and kicked the dog and threw his, you know, and I just, you know, and I was just, that was why I got rebellious. My parents, my friends all had smartphones and I didn't. And I, I mean, couldn't I? I was so embarrassed. I heard my dad cuss one time when he smashed his finger with a hammer. Yeah, you might too. First thing you think when you smash your thumbnail off is glory to God, praise Jesus, thank you, Lord. <laughs> See, see, you see what I'm saying? You're not going to have any excuse. God's going to say, we're not talking about your dad. I'll deal with him later. I'm dealing with you right now. Right. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll bet you anything Amnon's thinking, yeah, well, look at what dad did. Make an excuse. See, you've got to do that with your conscience. You understand that, don't you? You've got to deaden it. You've got to push back against it. You've got to find the yeah buts. And I'm telling you, they ain't going to hold up in God's court. So your conscience will warn you first against the sin. But watch this. And this is what the point of my message is centered around. Here's what I want you to get. His conscience was already telling him. But it looks to me like he wasn't able to cross that line on his own. Talking about stuff that hurts the church. It looks like it was all there. But he couldn't make that step. Until corrupt communications came into his life. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So far, Amnon had all this contained in his mind, contained in his heart. He was a filthy, wicked young man. But he kept it there. He probably would have lived and died. And stood before the judgment and God would have said, you filthy little man. Your heart was in the far country. You had evil things going on inside of you. But Tamar wouldn't have been ruined. Amnon wouldn't have died early. Absalom wouldn't have wound up with a busted up relationship with his father. And the fallout from that that we'll be looking at. You see folks, I'm telling you, sin is a snowball. And what we're looking at here is a snowball effect of one thing after the next, all rooted in sin at the beginning. All rooted in. You failed to stay close to Jesus Christ. You failed to stay sensitive when His Spirit told you you were off. You failed to let it go when you should have let it go. You failed to let God bring the judgment and you took it into your own hand. You had to say something, didn't you? And it's a snowball. 
What we're at right now is a snowball effect of what David had done. And God allowing this thing to go farther and farther to bring the repercussions for David's actions. And now Amnon's at a position where he's at a fork in the road. And Lucifer comes along and knows exactly how to just bump that thing off the edge. It says in verse number 3, but Amnon had a friend. Evil communications will embolden you to do what's already percolating in your own soul. He comes along and he looks at him and says, why aren't thou being the king's son mean from day to day? What does it say in chapter, verse number 3 about him? He's a very subtle man. I can't stand a snake. Listen, I hate snakes. I don't even think a good snake is a dead snake. I don't like to find them dead. I don't like snakes. I don't like the quiet, slithery, slimy look about them. Nothing about it. I don't like snakes. I, I think that you see a snake, you murder it. Nothing about a snake appeals to me. I've, seen, I've actually seen people down south, some of them guys get so used to them, they can snap them up by the tail like that, and they swing them around, and they can snap them like a whip. You'll hear their head going through the leaves in the woods. Just shoot that thing, man. Don't touch it. You know what I can't stand more than an animal snake? A human snake. I think a man ought to be a man. I think you ought to say exactly what you mean and mean exactly what you say. I think when you're a manipulator, I ought to slow down because my anger starts getting in there. I don't don't want to overstep. I can't stand a snake. And what happened is this particular snake was in his family. You know, you get around the cousins. And mom and daddy are relaxed because they're hanging out with their siblings and you're with them and everybody's having a good time. It's a family get-together. Mom and dad aren't quite on their guard like they are when they send you to public school or they meet one of your public school friends. It's a cousin. Right. You all squirrel off in the basement or you're all back in the bedroom back there. And that cousin the devil sends into your life, that cousin ain't got any guts themselves. They're subtle. But they know how to push you. And then step back, what? I didn't do it. He had evil communications he brought into his life. I'll say this before and I'll say it again. I absolutely can and I will judge you based on who your friends are. My dad said, birds of a feather flock together. You aren't friends with a punk because you love Jesus Christ and are trying to serve him. You aren't friends with a punk because you're trying to help him. Listen, if somebody sees your kids and they're like, we really like the way your kids are behaved and blah, blah, blah. We want our kids to hang out with your kids. Your answer is, absolutely not. By the way, I don't even think it's good if you've got a rebel kid to be like, you need to be more like them. You're just going to make your rebel kid hate the other kid. Right. You deal with your business. But I'm telling you this much, we want our daughter to hang out with your daughter. Why? We're having trouble with her and your daughter's such a... No. You know why? Evil communications corrupt good manners. It doesn't work the other way. 
You cannot go to the parties and hang out around that stuff and think you're there to influence them and get them into church. That's not how, that's not how the devil's working. Jonadab was a very subtle man, and Lucifer's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, so he knows how to get in there. And all the while you think you're trying to help them, you got it in the back of your head justifying your conscience to be there that I need to reach these people, and that's not what's happening. The devil's setting you up. So he has a real subtle friend come on board. And it looks like he had no ability to act on this until this stupid friend of his comes in and watch it now. Look at this. It's very important. Wilt thou not tell me? Verse 4. When somebody starts digging in your personal business, get them out of your life. Did you hear me? I'm serious about this. When they start digging, wanting to know your sins, that's an evil person. Once you let it out, you can't get it back. And you can't control where it goes. That's why you'll see kids, you promise you won't tell anybody? You're my best friend. You promise? Nobody in the world. I promise. Don't tell anybody. No. You know what your conscience is telling you? Your conscience is telling you they're going to talk. That's why you say don't tell anybody this. When I say don't tell anybody this, if I'm saying that to somebody, I already have premeditated what I'm saying and whether or not I'm okay with and can defend what I said when it goes everywhere. I'm not trying to breed in you distrust of everybody. That's a very bad place to be. Do you realize God puts people in your life to help you when you need help? Yes. And you can go there and get the help you need, but you better make sure the person you're talking to is called of God to be doing what they're doing, and you know who you're talking to, or you're not going to get help. You're going to get hurt. I have a real problem. I have a real problem with people that have supposed marriage issues but they want to run around and tell other people in the church, but they don't want to go where they need to go to get the help they actually need. When somebody starts coming to you talking about their marriage, you might want to stop them. You might want to say, have you gone to the right sources to discuss that? Because you're probably dealing with somebody that doesn't want to know the truth about the situation. Or they go where they can get help. Hey, listen, Amnon's problem was who he chose to listen to. He could have gone to his dad. He could have said, Dad, I got a problem. I need prayer. I need help. He knew his dad knew God. He knew his dad knew the fallout, all that stuff. He knew his dad had compassion. He knew his dad could help him. Tamar knew it too. She told him he didn't want to hear it. And that's why you're listening to the wrong people and talking to the wrong people because you don't want to hear it. I have a very limited amount of marriage counseling that I ever have to do. You know why? Because we start out just like this. Are we talking about her 80% or are we talking about your 20%? She's more guilty than I am. So what, big boy? That ain't going to change her. You want to talk to me about her? Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the 20% you can control. Let's talk about you and God. Where are you at with God? Forget her. She's a non-issue. 
It's you and God. <laughs> That's not the kind of marriage counseling I'm looking for. Okay, then train wreck your marriage. But be careful about going to talk to Jonadab. Because Jonadab, even if he's not a subtle man, he may just be somebody not equipped to deal with what you're dealing with, to help you with it. You don't know. Here's the thing. I'll warn you about this. Marriages go through really hard periods. Anybody that's been married for two or three years, there are times, literally, like you're just, I would die for her. After 20 years, literally, she makes my heart skip. No kidding. Walks in from work after a long day. There are other times. I don't think either of us have ever thought about divorce. We both considered murder. Divorce is unscriptural. You'll go through one of those phases where you literally just can't stand them anymore. And when you're there and you're desperate, you go talk to a friend. And you tell a friend all about what an idiot loser your husband is or what a complete moron crazy, she's a crazy woman. If you'd have married a different woman, she would be totally sane and normal like your mom was. Remember growing up, fellas? My mom was never like this. Go ask your dad, genius. You'll go ahead and you'll talk all about them when you're at one of those points. Then you know what happens with God's help? I don't care what the conservative psychologists that all the Christians seem to be raving about now, because now he's giving God credit and talking about the Bible. Not using his name, but if you're into him, you know who I'm talking about. I don't care what those demon-possessed psychos say. Some personalities may not change in human nature, but if they got the Spirit of God in them and they're saved, God can change your spouse. So you go through a rough patch and then God works and you're starting to go through a good time. And now all of a sudden you're back in love. But your friend that you told all about what a loser your husband is never looks at your husband the same again. Now they know all about your marriage. Ain't none of their business about your marriage. Ain't none of your business. You see what I'm saying? It is those communications in your life, I'm telling you, they will push you over the edge. They'll cause you to do something you shouldn't do. They'll encourage you to go the wrong way. They'll counsel you and advise you the wrong direction. And sometimes they're even innocent. They don't even realize that they're saying the wrong stuff. Evil communications corrupt good manners and you've got to understand the subtlety of the devil and that subtlety was in Jonadab. So Jonadab set him up. Jonadab gave him the idea, hey, get your dad involved. And tell your dad, feign yourself sick. When your dad comes and sees you, tell him that you want to see Tamar. You want her to come cook some stuff for you. And she'll come do that. And then you can have your way with her. See, he set him all up and gave him the idea on how to bring forth the fruit of his sin and do it like you can get away with this. You... Get away with nothing. You can trick daddy. You can trick your sister. You can trick your brother. You can file the plan and lay it out as good as you can. But the all-seeing eyes of Almighty God watch over you. And he knows what you're doing. And he don't brush nothing under the carpet. I'll tell you this much. And I'm, I'm real serious about this. I got one more point for you. And then we'll be done. 
but this one's heavy on my heart. There comes forks in the road of your life. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. There are forks in the road of your life. Things will build up, things will crescendo, circumstances will fall out, and everything will come to a point where you got a decision. The devil knows how to set them up, and so does the Lord. And I've told you before, especially going through the Job series, oftentimes they work so hand-in-hand, it's like hand-in-glove, you can't tell if it's the devil or God. And the reason is sometimes it's both at the same time. The devil will set it up, and God will set it up. God doesn't set you up with Jonadabs, by the way. He doesn't tempt any man with evil. And he can't be tempted. That's God the Father. Jesus in the flesh was. We're talking about God the Father. Can't even be tempted. So he doesn't put you in those positions. You wind up in a position with Jonadab, and here's how God's working at the same time. He's testing your mettle. He's allowing it. He's watching your character. He's looking at the decisions you make. And those forks in the road come, and it's all what you do at that second that determines where you end up. One of those forks in the road for me was when I was in Bible college. I was in the big fancy Bible college, you know, big rich, ritzy. The building was built after a replica of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Tabernacle. Rich, big, successful, lots of kids my age, money everywhere, man. Influence. And I got questioning some of the doctrine they were teaching because it didn't seem to be consistent with the Bible. And my mom says, you remember Jim Lentz? Yeah, I remember him. I got a picture in my office of me with him when I was three. He was being a, he had his arm around me, he was being a smart aleck, you know. It's a really precious picture to me. God had set my path up. You understand what I'm saying all the way back then, and I didn't even know it. And now God's bringing all these things to a crescendo in my life. I was at a position where I'm like, they're not teaching the Bible, they're correcting the Bible. This is a problem, this is an issue. And I had a lot of pressure on me. I mean, a lot. I'm talking about being blacklisted by everybody, almost getting into fights with other young guys because they're getting in my face because I'm criticizing the Greek teacher. Shoved one kid off the porch. He jumped up in my face. I said, get on my face, man. I mean, it was getting bad. And then she's like, you remember Jim? So I called Jim, and, and God was really good. Pastor Lentz should be more respectful. I call on him, and he's giving me ammo. So I go over to his church. I got in big trouble for doing that special meeting going on. Brother Peacock was there preaching, and uh, Brother Vince Massa was there preaching. I sat in the back in my double-breasted green suit with my great big Bible. And they're all coming in. The women who come in, they kick their shoes off in their pew. They're walking around barefoot, and they're in overalls down in the mountains in North Carolina. I left the big rich church, and I'm looking around like, what in the world? He says, all right, let's have the choir come on up. And the whole church gets up and goes on the platform. There's like five of us sitting there like this. <laughs> Like, this is different, man. That choir was, how many were in that choir? There's 200 kids in the choir? Something like that. It was a huge choir. I don't even know. Lots. You know? Huge. And everybody's in matching suits with the matching tie, and the girls are all matching, you know? All right, let's bring the choir on up. But, man, I'm telling you what, I, th- it was so clear to me when I was sitting, I was sitting there crying. You hear the likes of Brother David Peacock preaching, coming from the professionals? Yeah. And just a, just a whole bunch of just mountain folk getting up there and just throwing their head back and singing. The music was nothing like it was at the school I was from. Talking about the best of the best. 
I can still see that little guy sitting at the piano. <laughs> he happened to be my roommate. He got me in all kinds of trouble because I had Ruckman commentaries, and he flew it all the way up the flagpole because he was a favorite <laughs> concert-level pianist, you know. That's fine if you're a great pianist, but it was his whole thing, you know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> He has never had his nose broken a day in his life, I guarantee it. See, it's hard to respect, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there, man, the Holy Spirit of God's just moving in on me. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was hearing the truth, man. It was like I could get in a huge, long drink of cool water. So I go on and talk to Brother Lintz. What do you think I should do? I don't know. Well, I, I feel like I, every, every time I've done anything, I always quit. I've never finished anything I started. I'm 23 years old. Well, then stay. Yeah, but I think I need to be here. I need to learn the Bible. You're teaching the Bible in this institute. This is what I need. Then come. <laughs> yeah, but you just said stay. Did God call you to go there? I think so. Then stay. Yeah, but I'm not getting any Bibles. God telling you to come here? I, I don't know. I think so. Then come. <laughs> Listen, the point I'm trying to make, and that's just one little conversation, that man made me so angry. I mean, he, he, was, he was not smooth. He was not nice. He is a red-headed German Vietnam veteran. He was a tough guy of the tough guys. I mean, really genuine. Like, even at 50-something years old, like, literally. Now, I, I was out driving with him, talking road rage, like, like oh, my God, I was scared. He would, like, he, would get, he would get out of the car, and he would fight you. That was back before you went to jail every time you looked at somebody wrong. I'm like, I like this dude. <laughs> But man, he'd tell me the truth. He'd tell me exactly what I needed to hear. And I didn't like it. There were a lot of times I felt like, I felt really bad. He's the only grown man I know of that actually could make me cry. Don't tell anybody I said that. (laughs) I premeditated it before I said it. Okay, tell the world, I don't care. He made me so mad. But you know what I knew? I knew I just heard the truth. It's a fork in the road. And I'm telling you, it's so hard, it's so hard to make that decision. When everything in you feels like, if I make this decision, I'm putting myself behind schedule. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not going where I think I want to go. This is really a dead-end street for me. But it's right. You decide. See, the devil will give every one of you corrupt communications. And nowadays, they flow at you so rapidly and so constantly. You can walk out of here and within seconds, you can be in your car listening to some kind of false doctrine or some other teacher somewhere messing your head up and jacking you up. By the way, don't listen for two seconds to what a lost man tries to tell you about God and the Bible. Turn on those stupid TV shows and they try to talk to you. They don't even know what they're talking about. It's evil communications, and you have to decide which way you're going. And I'm telling you right now, your conscience already knows. It's corrupt communications that caused him to act on what had been going on deep. And then, my last point, the crooked acts began. The crooked acts started once he listened to voices he shouldn't have listened to. And once those crooked acts begin, it's like a, it's like a, a water dam holding the lake back. 
and the second you crack that thing and that water starts coming through, there ain't no stopping it, man. He starts out with a deception. One of the ways you know you're wrong is you'll start deceiving. Now watch this. Lying and deception are not the same thing. They're just twins. They're not identical twins, but they're twins. You know how many times it's, well, I didn't lie. No, but you tried to lead me to believe. You set it up. You withheld some of the truth. You're deceiving. You know what your heart will do? It'll deceive itself. You'll be so far gone in sin and so messed up and so full of bitterness and so full of hatred and so full of unforgiveness, holding on to the past because you're right. I'm not even saying you're wrong. Do you know some people have a good reason to be bitter? You ask them their story. You don't know what my brother Amnon did to me. He ruined my, I still am not the same, and it's going to take a miracle, the grace of God, to heal me up from what that man did to me. I know people like that. If that's you, don't be spreading it with other people, but if you need help, you've got to go get help at the right places. Their life is ruined by what somebody did to them. And now, their relationship with God is affected when they weren't even guilty at the beginning. Talk about a prisoner. My heart bleeds for Tamar. Man, I wish she'd have had a knife. I mean, ladies, keep a knife close to you. He's stronger than her, so he forced her. Well, that's, that's nothing, that's nothing. Up. Just a nice sharp blade right in the jugular. He went, you know. My heart bleeds for her. He ruined her life. Talking about deception. You young ladies understand something. When a filthy young man comes in and sees a pure young woman, he wants to ruin that for his own pleasure, but he'll deceive you first. He loves me. You are in a very vulnerable. I love him. You are so vulnerable you don't know it. You need a daddy. Come on, fellas. You need a daddy. But you start deceiving. You know what he does later on in the story? We're not going to read it for the sake of time and to be tender about the thing. But you know what he does later? It says after he violates her, he hates her with more vehement hatred than he loved her with before. He says, get out! She's like, don't do this. Please, go talk to dad. What you're doing now is worse than what you just did to me. Let's get this right. He says, get out! That's the deceptive deceptive nature of sin. He thought he loved her. He didn't love her. He wanted to violate her. He loved himself. Throws her out and bolts the door after her. Hey, you know what the difference between Amnon and David was? Amnon had an improper response to the judgment. You know what he thought? He thought he could ignore it, push it away, bolt the door, turn a blind eye, and what he did wasn't going to come back to haunt him. A lot of Christians live in denial. But the proper response to judgment is, I did it, I messed up. God, I love you, and I'm real sorry for what I did. Would you take my mess and put it back together? I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about lustful stuff this morning. 
I'm talking about God. I've gotten really, really bitter because somebody else hurt me. God, I've been living in the past of what somebody else did to me. It doesn't even have to be this kind of a rape situation we're talking about. I'm talking about somebody hurt me in church. Somebody did me wrong. I'm in a bad situation. And now, even though I'm not guilty, I've become guilty because now I'm bitter. I'm untrusting. I'm angry. I'm living in the failure. I'm living in the problems. I'm living in the past. And I can't get free! And you become a threat to your own marriage, to your own church, to your own family, because the bitterness inside of you due to something that was out of your control. Do you know what it becomes? It becomes sin. Now that's tough, ain't it? I'm talking to the victim. That bitterness will be used to the devil to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. Those crooked acts that resulted had to do with deception and sin deceives you. I'm not even talking to Amnon right now. That's obvious. I'm talking about the deceptive nature of sin where now the devil's used some offense to come in there and undermine your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with your church family, your relationship with your own spouse, your relationship towards your parents or towards your kids, toward everything around you because of that hurt that happened to you. Do you see what I'm talking about? See how sneaky that is? It's the deception nature of sin and what happens when sin sets in. Those crooked acts. You stop even regarding the effects of your actions on anybody else. So you're in the car on your way home from church and all you can talk about is those people at that other church. This church is so much better than the last church. And, that's it. and those people, and you remember when they, and every time somebody's name comes up, you're like, Aah! because of your bitterness when you were right and they were wrong and you got hurt. And your kids are sitting there going, I don't trust anybody either. Yeah, God only knows what these people are doing. Who's going to hurt me next? You see the deceptive nature of that? It's crooked. Then he begins denying the truth. Boy, that's when you're holding with the cords of your sin. Somebody comes up and says, let's talk about your 20%. And you say, I don't want to talk about my 20%. Let's talk about them. Denial of truth. It's an improper response when God points out a problem. You know what the best thing you and I can do this morning is? The best thing we can do is listen to the right voice. I know this message, is, this whole series is turning harder than I expected it to. I mean, I even struggle with it. Like, Lord, why? I mean, this has been a hard theme for the last few weeks. And I, I don't want to be a hard pastor. I want you to understand, I really do respect you. I respect this church. I love this church. But I really believe this is where God has us right now. It's a hard message. The question this morning is, what voices are you going to listen to? You know what Proverbs tells us? Wisdom crieth out. Do you know God wants to speak to you? He's crying out to you. He's beckoning you to come. 
Get closer to me. Bring all your problems to me. Bring your failures. Bring your struggles. Bring those things that are going on in your mind. Whether it be that or, hey, listen, you've been hurt already. Bring it to me. I can take all that mess and I can not only dish out the proper judgment on your adversaries, but I can take all your pain and use it for your good and his glory. But it all depends on the choice you make. What voice are you going to listen to? For whatever reason, that subtle voice of Amnon is so easy to listen to. Just let me go to the smooth church. Just let me go to the easy church. Let me go to the love, grace, Jesus church. Let's not be digging in like this. And that voice of truth that says you can't control the past, you can't control other people, but how are you responding to them? Because your response can hurt other people. Your response will hurt you more. And if you'll take your problem to God, His grace is sufficient to help you. Not only with your struggles, but with your pains. And He can do something good for you. Why is that so hard to respond to? That's a tough thing, man. Okay, God, yes, let's deal with my 20%. What can I do better to be a better dad? be a better husband, to be a better preacher, to be a better pastor. What do I need to change? God, am I too harsh? Am I too hard? Am I not patient enough? Am I not gracious enough? What do I need to do, God? Let's talk about me, and I'll do it. Now, you know that's the right voice, and so do I. That's a tough one to step out to. But if you do, the right road leads out at the right place. Let's stand on our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I give you an opportunity to respond to the message I want to encourage you